Is there anything that you've experienced in UEP that you would definitely recommend doing? Valeria is heading up, seems to be heading up the social gatherings this year. Yeah. That's new. Um, we didn't have as much of that last year. So um, shout out to Valeria. Great, great job on that stuff. So if you can, I don't know, how did you go to the, any of the happy hour stuff that they've put on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to that on Friday. And yeah. How was, was that? Nice. I, I was sick, so I was like, uh, I'm not going to get other people sick. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was good. Yeah, there were pretty many people there, and nice. it seemed like it was a good time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I think in general with UEP, with that, but just also so many other things I really appreciate as a first-year student how much effort is put into uh, kind of the social aspect and getting people mm-hmm. to – uh, you know, getting to meet all these different people and form friends and acquaintances and stuff. It's really uh, been great how fast you can get to know people through all of the stuff that's been organized. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. The UE podcast is brought to you by the Tufts Department of Urban and Environmental Policy and Planning. This is your host and MS sustainability student, Peter Federico. Stick around for this week's episode where I meet and speak with first-year student Dennis Caro Bacall for the first time for a UEP coffee chat. These chats are organized by the Student Planning Association, where students are invited to connect with others in our ever-expanding UEP community by signing up for the UEP coffee chats. All MSEP, MAUEP, MS, MPP, current students, alum, and alumni are welcome. Every month, participants would be paired up randomly and encouraged to set up a coffee chat. This is a chance to mingle with friends, classmates, or coworkers who are old. If you're interested in joining the coffee chats for next semester, look out for an email from Casey Alch or contact her directly. I'll put her email in the episode description. Now, please enjoy my first time conversation with Dennis Carlico. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to join the coffee chat series the coffee chat series so yeah I'm a first year student and uh, it just seems like a good opportunity to get to know other people in the UEP department and overall community and uh, I also like drinking coffee so uh, what kind of coffee do you like uh, I'm typically just uh I'm not too particular. I uh, I like um, pour over coffee. I was making that for a while when I didn't have a coffee maker, but I've gone back to the old school drip coffee maker. So, uh, but I'll but I'll drink any coffee. <laughs> nice. I'm not a huge coffee drinker. I will sometimes when I really need a, a, a good kick of energy. Uh, I'm a big tea drinker, or as I'm drinking right now, Diet Coke. Um, yeah, I signed up for the the chats just to the coffee chat series, just to similar to you get to I'm a second year. Um, well, finishing my last semester of the sustainability program, but uh, wanted to in my last semester here, try to just gain more more network connections and and chat more with people in the community, get to know more people. So, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, uh, what um do you hope to use your degree to do? I think I read uh, in the little blurb that we had for the coffee chats that you're interested in ecology and new urbanism and Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah what are what are your uh i guess hopes uh out of this program um great question um <laughs> to answer one one aspect of of that um what i hope to get out of the program and what i already have so far you know, as i mentioned earlier I'm, I'm rounding out finishing my program i just have three classes left um, so what i hope to have gotten out of the program and definitely have is expanding my network of you know sustainability professionals as well as expanding upon my knowledge of both what sustainability means what um, systems thinking means uh, in the world of urban planning uh, urban planning is something that i never really thought about until maybe a year or two ago and was definitely interested in how i could use my my, my undergraduate degrees in biology so um, I, I love the natural world and ecosystems and and how life functions and and works and i'm sort of interested in how that can apply to urban cities and how we can um, create more biodiverse places within urban communities because i think that's something we really need um, Yeah, I guess uh, I don't know. I, I've 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 heard that a lot of, um, or I've noticed that it seems like a lot of UEP students, even if um, it's a two-year program, tend to uh, take breaks. Like I've met people who are like, I'm back here finishing up my thesis after mm -hmm. five years of doing something else, or I took longer, or I guess in your case, uh, you're taking it a little bit shorter than the traditional path. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like there's all these opportunities and extended networks that we can kind of plug into here. Uh, do you see that as one of the benefits of UEP is that it's kind of, it's not just like a specific track of mm -hmm. a two-year program and then you're out. It's, it's more of this, it seems like this human uh, community of people. Yeah, I think you're definitely nailing it on the head. One of the great things about the UEP community is it it's more than just a part department in a school or an institution like Tufts it, it really is a community of people where we are I think by a lot of our professors incur and by the curriculum the way the curriculum is set up to uh, encourage us in our academic spaces to be our whole selves and you know that means a lot of things but one of the things that it means is you know being able to complete your degree at different times which creates, I think, a more diverse community, diverse cohorts and, and peers who you're in class with. So, for instance, one of my classes is community engagement with uh, Professor Christine. And in that class, it is a really diverse group of students, some that are mid-career professionals who are in the, uh, the mid-career public policy track program with UEP. And there's an undergraduate tough student in that class as well. Um, there's other grad, you know, traditional grad students like I am. Um, and so that I, that's, I think, a great example of, you know, the fact that there are different degree programs that are different lengths and you can sort of start and stop. You can do it part time. You can do it full time. It allows for you to be in classes and interact with people of pretty diverse backgrounds that you maybe in other departments or other disciplines at an institution um, wouldn't be as likely to encounter. So, yeah. Yeah, I've really picked up on that in my time here, and I think that's uh, 
it seems really cool that there's such a diverse uh, set of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, backtracking a little bit, are you from the Boston area? Or tell me about uh, before Tufts. Yeah, so I'm I'm from Michigan originally. Uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll have to connect you with my friend Chelsea. She's also from Michigan. Oh, yeah, cool. I'll have to chat. Um, yeah, so I... I lived in born and raised. I was born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I lived there for the first basically 22 years of my life. Uh, I went to college in Ann Arbor as well, and then I found a job in the Boston area around 2018, uh, and been living in the greater Boston area ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent a few years in Somerville, then a few years in. Arlington, and now I recently moved back to uh, Somerville for school. Hmm. Yeah, and what was your, I think you've mentioned a little bit of your interests and like background in the life sciences that mm-hmm. kind of led to yeah. sustainability, but uh, why, what did catch your eye about urban planning uh, when you were looking into grad school? I think with urban planning, I had never thought about that cities and just you know towns or or whatever um that the way a city is is by design somebody or a group of people or citizens had to vote and make decisions about um you know this is how the layout's going to be of the city this is what's going to go here these are the services these are the traffic routes etc um i never really thought that deeply about that there are actually people in a profession and a whole career around making those decisions um, and that was sort of intriguing to me and um, I don't necessarily see myself becoming an urban planner I'm not sure what I will become with my career um, right now I'm kind of specializing right now in water resource management and mm-hmm. I did a fellowship over the summer about coastal resiliency and planning for water mitigation in Portsmouth New Hampshire and enjoyed that and obviously there's going to be no shortage of water issues whether it's too much water or too little water Mm -hmm. um, in the coming decades because of climate change but um, yeah just interested in in that kind of stuff and and broadly you know I do come from a hard science background and over the years and as being a teacher I've realized that scientists really struggle to communicate basic messages to the broader audience whether that's to students as a teacher whether that's to citizens as an environmental planner, for instance, um, or someone dealing with flood mitigation, right? Um, and so I, don't know, I found maybe maybe there's a link between the sciences and urban planning as a, as a way to you know sort of become a better communicator of those types of environmental issues um, and how they impact society and you know city life, for instance. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of interesting connections in urban planning. I'm also someone who's pretty new to a lot of these concepts, but that connect the hard technical knowledge and the more uh, human kind of cultural side of things. And Mm -hmm. I think that intersection is really interesting Mm. to me so far. Mm. What was your undergrad? It was, so it was called informatics, but I think I went to school right when data science as this big buzzword was really taking off. And so the year after I graduated, they changed the name of the program to data science. Mm. So it was a lot of 
statistics and computer programming, but um, I, um, how do I say this? I was also, I was at, in the liberal arts college mm -hmm. at um, the University of Michigan, so I did take a broad range of classes, and I was, uh, I've always been very interested in history, and um, one of my favorite classes in college was like the history of democracy in Europe. Uh, and uh, so I had these kind of different interests. I also did a minor in writing where kind of, um, it's interesting that you mentioned about communication because I, I, I did a little bit of uh, work on like scientific communication. Oh, really? And um, did a little bit of science journalism, um, which was really fun. So I had these different interests and um, obviously during the pandemic and, you know, just being an American over the past few years, I I worked in the software industry for, for a few years, but I really felt like I wanted to gain more skills and kind of combine um, maybe my computer science and statistics background with my other interests more and um, engage with a lot of the topics that we're learning at UEP that I feel are very important for the world moving forward. Mm, so nice. decided to go back to school. Cool. I can totally see the connection between uh, your background, your you know technical background, as you just mentioned, and the the urban planning sphere. There are there are some classes in UEP department, but also uh, in a couple other departments within the graduate school of arts and sciences that. Um, look at sort of I don't know if you do a lot with like data visualization and, and using computers to do that kind of stuff in, informatics wise but um, there's a few courses that are kind of centered around those ideas and those frameworks yeah I, I that is something I'm really hoping to uh, gain as more of skills in uh, during my time in school mm -hmm. I'm actually taking a class this semester uh, that's urban analytics with okay. I was gonna Professor ask if you heard Zhang. of that class. Yeah, yeah, Are and you uh, it? I'm I am liking it so far, and it's uh, a little bit adjacent to some stuff I worked on as an undergrad. But it's teaching me a lot of new skills in terms of visualizations and also mapping mm -hmm. stuff, which I don't have so much experience in. And I think I'm really excited for to learn those skills. Nice. Are there particular softwares you're using in that class? Yeah, it's mostly um, Python and then using different Python libraries to interface with some other technologies like mapping uh, stuff, uh, GIS, mm. um, and uh, other data visualization mm -hmm. libraries in Python. Cool. So uh, it's a lot of new stuff to me, but I, I have a little bit of prior Python experience from undergrad classes mm -hmm. so it's kind of refreshing I'm trying to refresh my memory mm -hmm. on that but also uh, there's a lot of new stuff to learn mm -hmm. nice what other classes are you taking uh, so I'm taking as a first year uh, MA UEP student I'm in the core classes of you know foundations of public policy and mm -hmm. cities and space place and time and then because of my statistics background I uh, got a waiver for the Quantitative reasoning class. Good. Uh, I was, that was something I was going to ask you. Yeah, um, but I unfortunately took quant. I didn't real. I had taken biostats in undergrad and uh, um, 
could should have waved out of quant so that was a, a bit of a waste of a couple credits for me but so i'm glad you got to do that yeah uh i i think i was lucky enough that like my advisor told me about that process uh mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year so that's um, good but yeah, and then I'm taking a really interesting course that's uh, energy policy, which is uh, taught mm -hmm. uh, by I think a Bruce. Kind of, yeah, Bruce. Yeah. yeah, guest professor, and uh, there's a lot of really interesting guest lecturers in that class, and so we get a lot of real world case studies mm -hmm. of uh, different people who have worked in yes. creating policies related to fighting climate change, and mm -hmm. uh, it's that's been really interesting so far as well. Yeah. Are you, do you think you're interested in the sort of energy side of things or you sort of, you know, yeah. that's your elective this well, semester. So what were one of them? So what drew that you is to an, that? That is a, it's, it's just a field that seems really interesting to me. It seems very A lot important. of demand for yeah. it too. Uh, but I think I kind of want to explore my interests. I don't really know exactly what I will end up doing. So uh, because it's a topic that I thought that I would be interested in, I just thought I would try it out uh but so far i like it uh nice but yeah i'm I'm still in the kind of exploratory phase of yeah, trying hey, to I find a too, niche and I'm finishing my degree. <laughs> yeah <laughs> for now so i i've heard like people recommend to take a range of courses so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do that yeah nice uh you mentioned there are a lot of guest speakers in your energy policy class is there one that comes to mind I, you know we're we're a few weeks into the semester now several so uh, has there been a particular guest who's been really interesting yeah i think i think we've so we've had three so far and i think all of them are interesting in their own way we had mm. uh someone who uh, was an energy policy planner for the city of cambridge and uh, a lot of what he was working on was uh, energy efficiency programs in buildings especially retrofitting old buildings because I think in the Boston area, it's such a historic city. There's such old buildings that are important to preserve mm. uh, for good reasons, but it's a big challenge to uh, make them energy efficient uh, in the same way that, you know, it's easier. It might be easier to for a newer building to uh, be built with energy efficient technologies in the mm -hmm. first place. So. Right. Uh, that that was an interesting challenge to he learn about, and then what did they say were some solutions to that problem? So, so I think they there was there's kind of three steps of the plan. One of them is uh, like energy efficiency. If it's like in insulation and stuff like that, they have uh, programs to help advise people for free uh, to kind of come to your building and consult uh, um, and give you recommendations. But I think uh, there's, they talked about a number of roadblocks and I think one of them is the landlord renter problem mm. with, uh, you know, a lot of people in this area are renters. There's a relatively high percentage of that. And a lot of times if like energy utility bills are the renter's business to pay, the landlord's not thinking about oh, yeah, how can the I landlord, make this more energy efficient. Exactly, so I'm not even living there. I don't. Yeah, the, the landlord doesn't have the incentive to mm -hmm. uh, put effort into energy efficiency because they just think it's not their problem. Sure. So, is there maybe a policy route to incentivizing um, landlords to make energy efficient changes? 
I think that there are ideas, but I think it's a. I think within this field, it's considered to be, like one of the trickier issues,、mm. um, and. So it was mostly discussed as like this is something we have to consider,、mm-hmm. and、um, I don't think there's like a silver bullet necessarily yeah, that's yeah, going to solve problems, the issue. But I think there are different ways regulations you can、mm-hmm. pass to address that.、Um, and then a, a huge、cool. thing is like、uh, electrification of heat heating. So、mm-hmm. trying to、heat、get people, yeah, to like, like when their old furnace breaks down, replacing it with a heat pump. Um, instead of、uh, one that would use fossil fuels, and a big trick, a challenge for that is that like a lot of times when your furnace breaks, you're kind of desperate, if especially if it's the winter, you、yeah. know, to change. So、uh, you end up installing a brand new fossil fuel burning furnace, and so instead they have these, and actually they can use data science to help do this,、uh, like study certain patterns in the way that a furnace operates, and there's.、Uh, Technology that will help you guess maybe a month before it fails that it's about to fail, and that gives you a little bit、yeah. of a window to、uh, figure out how to get a heat pump、mm-hmm. instead of just getting the first thing that when a technician shows up to your house, they're like, "Well, I have this in the truck. I'll just replace it."、Mm-hmm. And、um, so, how can th- the software kind of interesting to me? Pr- how can the software predict when the furnace is going to fail? Do you know? I think it looks at Patterns of usage of the furnace, and it can、mm-hmm. tell somehow based on things that it's sensing on, like maybe how I, I don't know. We didn't really get that much into the details of it, but I would、mm-hmm. say like if the furnace seems to be struggling a lot, like turning on and like not being able to、I、reach a certain temperature repeatedly.、Mm. Yeah, I don't know. This is just my、sign. educated guess, but yeah, yeah there's very cool, and I'm sure that there's like. <laughs> Patterns that are like they can match it too, where it's like, oh, if it starts to follow this pattern, that's like the pattern that appears bef- right before it fails.、Mm. So I think、uh, machine learning stuff、yeah. can help、uh, identify that kind of thing. Cool. And you f- you think maybe that perspective, like you know, using machine learning and software, that's to solve some of these issues, is one of the things you're interested in. Yeah,、uh, I think. I am generally interested in how some of the stuff I've, some of the experience I bring to the program can be applied、mm-hmm. in a positive way. Yeah.、Uh, so that that was an interesting thing to learn about. But、um, when did you graduate、yeah. from undergrad? It was 2017. Okay. And you worked for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. But just、uh, over four years, and then.、Um, What were you doing exactly? So I was working for a small、uh, software company in, based in Burlington, Massachusetts,、uh, and our work was、um, a lot of it was data management and visualization for the healthcare industry, and then also like、mm-hmm. uh, we had some customers in the food and beverage industry, so we would、uh, take in in healthcare like they have these.、Uh, EHR systems now.、Uh, what is that?、Uh, it stands for Electronic Health Record.、Mm-hmm. So,、oh, okay. uh, what I learned is that, as a, as a background, which kind of created a market,、uh, was the as part of the two thousand eight bailout, 
the Obama administration had this policy called high tech, which was uh, they they just set aside all this money to give to hospitals to like digitize their health records and invest in computer systems. Mm-hmm. And that kind of created the market for my company to offer their services, services. to hospital mm-hmm. systems. So they have all this data now that they collect because they've digitized all their health records. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the old days, it would all be like pen and paper stuff. Right. But uh, now they want, now that they have all this data, they want to be able to like visualize it and track it. And mm-hmm. our software, like we would have applications which would show like, you know, how many beds in the hospital are being used hour by hour, like a census or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how many hip replacements were done and how many had complications. And then there were Medicare incentives where like hospitals would be rewarded for doing a good job in surgeries or like mm-hmm. not having there. One of the things was like benchmarking, you know, like keeping track of like we want to have less than a certain amount of uh, sepsis, like hospital acquired like blood infections. That's mm-hmm. like a real thing that hospitals are trying to limit. Uh, so, uh, is public health in an interest at all for you? Yeah, I think uh, I I'm interested. I haven't really taken much coursework in there. A lot of the subject matter for my job I learned on the job, so mm-hmm. I knew programming skills going into it mm-hmm. um but i the application the application yeah. all the applications of the programming skills were like totally new to me but mm-hmm. um it gave me a little bit of exposure to policy because we were dealing with uh you know healthcare policy and these kind of insurance incentive programs which mm-hmm. i had mixed feelings about but hospitals wanted to visualize their data to be able to see how they were doing on these incentive programs and um, learning about like the kind of government made it a priority to digitize health data. So mm-hmm. uh, that gave me a little bit of exposure of like, cause you imagine the software industry as this kind of free market of that's being shaped by companies, or at least that's how I pictured it going in. But really the whole field that I was working in was shaped by government policy. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that the, like our entire business wouldn't exist had the Obama administration not done what they did in the way that they did. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was interesting for me to witness some of the interaction between policy and then industry. Right. Yeah, that's that's very insightful what you just said, I think, because you know, part of like the American mentality is the idea of free markets and that is interesting that like this field that you had worked in is really a result of public policy um, mm-hmm. initiatives and things like that. And I guess speaks to the, the power of a policy to certainly make changes for good and, and for maybe not so good, depending on who you're talking to. But Yeah. Cool. Um, are you still working or are you a full, t- are you full time just um, studying uh, now? Yeah, I'm full-time. Uh, so I left that job at the end of July, beginning of August, uh, and then had a few weeks off, and then um, full-time now. Nice. What would you do with your few weeks off? Uh, a lot of it was just relaxing. I It was the first summer vacation I had in a few years, you know, 
when you get out of school you realize that like you miss summer vacation a lot like especially if you're just working throughout the summer yeah, uh, I haven't experienced that yet. Yeah, I guess I you're a teacher. Undergrad right? to yeah. teaching. So, yeah, I've, I've been on the uh, academic schedule. Don't they say, like, so. the best part of being a teacher is June, July, and August or yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah, they do say that. Uh, and when I was teaching, I was teaching biology, but I was also teaching filmmaking. So I was in the science and the art department, oh, wow. which yeah. would often surprise people. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people consider those disciplines to be polar opposites, but um, in my opinion, in other people's opinions, they're very similar. I always say, as a biologist, my most important tool is my um, my skills in observations, um, and that's the same as an artist. You, what, what, no matter what discipline of art you're using um, to express yourself, you're observing something um, at the end of the day. Um, so I, I enjoyed being interdisciplinary in that way. As a student, I was always really interdisciplinary, and so it was nice to be teaching in that similar way. I did a lot of collaboration uh, doing science projects with the faculty who were in the art departments, and um, that was definitely a, a, a part of teaching that I really enjoyed and sort of expanding upon what typically, air quotes, we could do in a science classroom. Um, so we had fun with it. As a class I'm in, and this past week, we our readings were focused on uh, community engagement practices that are centered around um, collective art making and how you can engage with the community and actually have really transformational change happen through um, getting the community together and doing an art piece together. Uh, whether it whether the art piece has a really large meaning to it um, and is tackling some issue, or if it's just you know, as simple as like painting a mural or, or, you know, chalk on the sidewalk or something like that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think public art's interesting and I don't know if I'm, I've, I've noticed in recent years and I don't know if it's anecdotal or if it's part of a broader trend, but it seems like in a lot of cities you're seeing more public murals. If there's a big brick building, mm-hmm. like one of the walls will become a mural. Yeah. Um, and when I go back to Ann Arbor, I notice the downtown has more, uh, murals than it used to have mm-hmm. and it nice. adds a new dimension to mm-hmm. uh, the town and I think it's it's interesting I, it would be cool to learn more about how that happens I know um, at least in Ann Arbor there's a certain amount of the budget for buildings that has to go into public art oh really yeah and um, around the campus, the college campus, there's a lot of sculptures that you see like outside of a building. And it's kind of mm-hmm. funny, like to build that building, they had to make that sculpture. So it's like <laughs> you see one sculpture, one building. That's funny. But I think there's probably, and it seems kind of like they're doing it because they had to or something. Mm. But in other cases, I think it can be done really well to really like enrich a sure. place. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, on the one hand, I guess it's good that it's mandated in a way, but also it creates those products of, oh, clearly they just were forced to put up this statue and it has no real significance or meaning to the community in some instances. But I guess, you know, that's part of pushing the needle forward in certain areas is, you know, having it having it mandated and eventually meaning will come from it. Um, mm-hmm. um, but back to your break, so you were just hanging out what do you like to do in your free time hobbies hobbies yeah I so I I guess two things that I was able to do during the break was I'm I'm into hiking and so I I went on 
this, uh, um, and I had recently gotten a tent and so far I had only had my friends like set up the tent and I was like, I own this tent, so I need to know how to <laughs> use it. And so I went on a hiking trip by myself to the Cape and I did yeah. some like day hikes in, um, the islands and, uh, stayed in a state park. The islands like, like I went Martha's to Nantucket, Nantucket and Nantucket? Martha's okay. Vineyard cool. on the like steamship authority ferry and wow. that was all my first time doing all of that stuff so it was really cool to explore nice. that oh, good for you um and but but generally in my free time i do like hiking um i've done a fair amount of hiking um with i have a friend who i go with on weekends to new hampshire sometimes and we uh He's more into like the, all the 4Ks, like there's a big list of them. The 4,000 footers. Yeah, yeah, and I mostly uh, just kind of tag along with him, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I do really like getting out into nature, mm -hmm. especially if you are spending most of your time in a city and having that opportunity uh, yeah. is a real privilege. So mm -hmm. I like that. And then I've kind of gotten into some old movies, watching movies. So I, uh, I had like a list of movies and I was able, since I had so much time I got through a few of those uh I'm trying to like educate myself on mm -hmm. classic like Hollywood movies that I mm -hmm. never watched when I was a kid and uh so that was fun nice like w uh, a specific era of uh, old movies or yeah I'm trying to think of some that I saw uh like are we talking old school like no sound, black and white, or like silence. Uh, I haven't watched many silent movies, but <laughs> I, okay, so. but 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 yeah, the kind of classic Hollywood era from maybe like 30s through yeah, 60s. Okay. I yeah, had boom era. never really watched that, but uh, nice. I experienced some of that, like uh, some like old like Hitchcock movies, okay. and uh, uh, I know I saw some other ones, uh, like. I saw, um, actually just recently I saw some of the old like universal monster movies like mm. Frankenstein and <laughs> stuff like that. So, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of fun to fill, fill in mm -hmm. some, I guess I'm a history nerd. So I like to like build up like what, what, how did movies develop? So mm. that, that was kind of a hobby. Did you study history a bit in undergrad? I took a few classes as distribution requirements, mm. so I, I actually took some like a Central European cinema class, which was interesting. Mm. Uh, so it was history of that region, but we also watched a lot of through film, through film, mm. yeah, cool from different eras. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite classes at Bates, I I did a I took a couple classes in filmmaking, so it wasn't you know, the study of the evolution of or the history of films, but it was the act of making them. And our professor there was Colombian. And so a lot, a lot, or I would actually say exclusively, most of the films that we watched to draw inspiration from and to learn and, and critique about were Colombian artists. And um, I, in hindsight, I'm very appreciative of that, that it wasn't just, you know, watching typical European or American um, films and analyzing them because, um, you know, the foreign films, there's just a totally, it's a totally different perspective. And um, I can't remember, you know, just like they kind of go, uh, like the, some of the stories and that were told were really um, sort of intense and, and darker than you, you might see and, in certain 
American films. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I think kind of non Hollywood movies like from other countries can be very interesting because uh, it's different than I think what a lot of Americans would expect from movies. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so my I'm my dad's family and my dad is a Turkish immigrant are from Turkey and so I've watched a fair amount of like Turkish movies over the years and uh, I think there are different like cultural expectations of like what people expect from a plot sometimes mm. like yeah in a lot of sure. Hollywood movies you know they say the Hollywood ending that it has to end in a happy way whereas like right. I've noticed I've watched a lot of Turkish movies that are just kind of tear jerkers where like <laughs> it'll just get sadder and sadder and then you just expect there to be some redemption and there's just not like mm. it just ends yeah, on like the sadness you gotta note. Sit, sit with the sadness <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but like one of my favorite production companies is A24 oh yeah I um, I know a little bit of their work. I have a friend who's like really into A20. There was an A24 festival in Ann Arbor that he went to, oh, really? and uh, he has a mug or something that <laughs> says A24 on it. Uh, nice. And uh, yeah, they have some like scary ones, right? Like horror movies mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, um, they they do all sorts of genres. The most recent one I saw was Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh yeah, I, I saw that in theaters oh, too in August. Yeah, that yeah. was. Did you like it? Yeah, uh, it was it was pretty fun. It felt like really, I guess I don't know exactly how old you are, but for, for, it felt like I'm very much twenty five. Okay, yeah. yes, I'm twenty six. So it felt like very relevant to my, like our age yeah. group, like this type of conversation that yes, definitely. Like there was a really, I guess, interesting, but also kind of funny conversation about like socioeconomic privilege at mm. the end, where they're like. Yeah. Uh, that just felt like something that I would overhear in like a, a shop dorm shop. room or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, critics were know. saying some critics were saying that the the film is um, the Gen Z equivalent to um, Jennifer's body. What Jennifer's uh, body was for, um, I think, millennials, and then what for, I think. I think maybe some compared it to even Scream, what Scream was for Gen X. Oh. Um, in terms of like the slasher that's kind of a satire on, on um, at the time, whatever the horror movie genre was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say I, I agree with that stance a little bit with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I think it's a bit more, it is, if you look it up, it's in the genre of comedy and horror and i would say that it's definitely both i would say it's, yeah it's a little bit more leaning towards comedy satire than horror slasher, yeah. but it has elements of both well maybe i'm easily scared but there were some parts that were kind of tense with <laughs> that too like where you don't know if the guy's dead or alive and they they always do some like uh yeah. kind of i don't know what you call it but things that kind of like make you think that this is when the horror element is going to start but then mm, it turns out to some be red herrings jokes. yeah like red herrings yeah. uh are you a fan of horror in general? I, I, I'm, I feel like I I'm easily, easily squeamish. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm squeamish, but I, so for me, horror, so I'm not squeamish with like murder or like things that could, serial killer, like things that could really happen in real life. But for me, what gets me, I don't really mess with um, spiritual, ghost, paranormal activity, oh, yeah. that kind of, no, I don't mess with that stuff. That stuff freaks me out because it's like, uh, it gets it just gets to me on edge. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's some stuff that like, 
but gore, I'm fine with gore. I'll, I can eat whatever and like watch someone's brain be getting sawed out. <laughs> I'm eating my pasta. Doesn't ruin your fine. appetite no. at all. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I saw. Speaking of A24 Midsummer a few years ago, mm. and that one was it was very good, but it was like kind of hard to get through. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't finish watching it. I oh yeah, I watched it at home year a year a couple years after it came out. Yeah. Um, that one was that that see that's the genre that's kind of on the edge for me. Like parts of that were really freaky, for yeah. sure. And I think I I was watching it by myself, and I I think I had to turn it off because I was like, this is too much. Yeah, yeah. I think I watched it during the pandemic uh, by myself as well, and it was like the there were parts of it where I had to like pause and like come back to yeah, it. Yeah, I did the same like, thing. I, yeah, it's I a lot. It's too tense. But yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. then yeah, some people make made fun of me for that, but. Uh, <laughs> But I'm glad I, I I made it through. It was, I don't know. It's like I I'm glad that I watched it, but it was kind of a tense experience at the time. Mm, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Versus and, bodies, bodies, bodies. I watched. I went. I watched that in theaters twice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. The second time I watched it, I actually thought that I caught something, mm-hmm. um, in the storyline. So spoiler: if you haven't watched Bodies, 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 and you want to skip over this part, but. Um, <laughs> At the very beginning, so it's obviously like most of the movie is the mystery of like who done it. Like yeah. who, as an audience member, you're meant to think that you know there's a killer on the loose and who yeah. who is hiding in the shadows type of deal. And then we come to find out that there was no killer. It was yeah. just sort of these weird things that were happening and yeah, um, and like overreactions. Yeah, yeah, and lo- fueled by drugs and alcohol. Yeah, yada yada, and weird uh, group dynamics, but. Um, you know the whole subplot line of the text messages between the the couple and then the friend and they were like one of them was like maybe having an affair or had gone over to the house and had an affair with the friend yeah Um, there were like accusations of that and then they're like are you lying to me or not yes let me see your text check or text that whole thing well so i had forgotten by the time i watched the movie again for the second time in theaters when i went to i got the end of when i went for the Second time again, at the very beginning, um, there's the scene when they're in the car. I don't know how well you remember. Is this like the very first scene when yeah, they're driving? Yeah, very there? first scene, which is a very common thing to do in this sort of satire horror movie genre is to tell you who the killer is or who the sort of bad guy is in the very first scene of the movie. Hmm. And so I was watching this and in the scene, there the, the couple's in the car and the girlfriend um, is texting somebody and the driver says oh who are you texting and the person says your mom and i was i swore that the person was um holding the phone of of the girlfriend so i was like oh it was her the whole time like she faked the text messages to the friend and like i thought that i had like solved Uh, some mystery but um it turned out that that was not true. But uh, I, I thought you, like, I had pause it and zoom in or something like that to see what was going on on the phone. Yeah, I know, right? No, I didn't. But um, yeah, so I I thought I had uncovered a red herring um, from the very beginning, but no such luck. But yeah, so I, I like yeah. I like watching film and I like watching things over again. Like that was one okay. thing with the film classes I took in college. We had to watch films twice. Yeah. We would watch them on our own for homework, and then we would watch them in class together, mm-hmm. and then we would we would critique them in a written paper and then critique them together in class. And um, 
so that's sort of a practice that I continue doing in my my own sort of amateur free time of watching films like to like to revisit things. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think I I tend not to do that, but I think that there's a lot of things like both books or movies that if I watched it again, I would get a lot more out of it or I would notice things mm-hmm. and that I didn't notice the first time. And yeah. the times that I do do that, I often appreciate it. But for me, I feel like there's always so much stuff that's on my list of stuff to watch that like I sometimes don't take I, I, I never end up making it back to rewatch mm-hmm. things but that was sure. the thing during classes especially when you're trying to write the film essay and you have to rewatch the same scene a million times mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at some point it's like you almost start hating the <laughs> movie because it's like right. uh, you just Picking watch the apart. same character say the same thing over and over again because you like rewound the scene mm-hmm. a bunch of times and uh, right. but that was that was a big uh thing that I had to learn how to do because it doesn't it's not a thing that I naturally do I know there's some people who like read Harry Potter 12 million times as a kid or something but that was never me Mm. I never read them once so really okay (laughs) no I was not a Harry Potter person well I've enjoyed um getting to chat with you and, and get to know a little bit about your background both professional and personal do you have any hikes planned in the future? I'm uh, I'm trying to get more into hiking. I okay. do love big, get, you know, getting outside in whatever way. But uh, yeah, um, well, I'm trying to do a fall colors hike, and I've actually been. What it, what is that? What do you mean? So colors? just you know, with the changing leaves and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, getting out to a place that we can get some good views. Okay, of the colors. I think the not Franconia Notch area in New Hampshire is at peak right now. I just saw a oh, TikTok yeah. yesterday about that. Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, I went to this place in Central Mass called Quabbin Reservoir. Mm, yeah, that's a popular one. Yeah, and that one had some beautiful fall colors as nice. well. So hoping to get out to one of those places. I think the window mm. to catch them at their peak is really narrow. So yeah, you especially have to do it while you can. Yeah, especially with climate change and droughts, it's really impacting um, the intensity of leaf colors and how long they are staying certain colors. Yeah. Uh, have you b- ever been to the Fells, the Fells Way up 93 here? Yeah, yeah, I've I've been there a couple times and it's it's great how nice of a place that is so close by, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um Yeah. Uh well, yeah, thanks for all the recommendations and uh mm-hmm. I it's great talking to you too and uh yeah. Uh it's fun to do my first podcast, I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> You uh, did great. All right. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, and uh, it was great co- talking. <laughs> yeah, awesome. All right. Uh, See you guys next time on the UE Podcast.